Hey, it's Andy. Welcome or welcome back to the Brownsbridge Church podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to download the Brownsbridge Church app where you can access all of our recent message content as well as find out more information about Brownsbridge Church. And the app is the easiest way to share this content with a friend. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Before I was a pastor, I was in sales and I've been a pastor for about 15 years. So over the the 20 years of um, my career, my various careers, I've interacted with a lot of different people in a lot of different settings, over meals, hallway conversations, meet folks out in the hallways here on Sundays. And uh, the number one word, the number one word that people use to describe their life, I bet you can guess what it is. It's right here. It's busy. Have Have you heard this? Have you noticed this? They're like when you ask people how they're doing, they, they don't respond with good. They respond with busy, right? Uh, there's an anecdote, uh, anecdotal story of a guy who immigrated to the United States and uh, was trying to learn the English language. And after six months, he concluded that the word busy meant good because every time he asked people how they were doing, they would respond with busy. Everybody is busy. And it really doesn't matter what season of life you're in. I mean, it makes sense that someone's busy when um, they've got multiple kids at home, maybe young kids, or their kids are a little bit older and all their kids are involved in sports and they're running every which way. But I mean, if you, you talk to empty nesters, any empty nesters in the room, you, you know this, you feel this, you experience it firsthand. Empty nesters are, are, are busy. And if you look at, at young single adults, they're busy. And if you, uh, you can talk to a person who's 20 years old and should be in college, but isn't in college and should have a job, but doesn't have a job and is living in their parents' basement and is playing Fortnite all day. And you talk to them and ask them how they're doing in life. And they will say that they're busy. That's what they'll say. They'll say, how are you doing? They're busy. Like, you're like busy with what? Like you have literally nothing to do in life, but yet somehow as human beings, we are constantly drawn to being busy. And here's the thing. Busy isn't bad. It's not a bad thing. Sometimes I talk to folks and they'll be like, oh, you know, we're just busy, you know, and they start listing off all the things they're busy. We got this and we got this and we got this. And I'm sitting there kind of thinking to myself, well, wait a second, didn't you choose all those things? Like who twisted your arm and made you sign up for all the things that you're busy with in life? Busy's not a bad thing, especially if it's, if, if, if our lives are busy with things that matter and things that we've chosen and things that make a big impact. I, uh, there's uh, a couple that goes here to Brownsbridge, Chris and Jan, and they've been here for a long, long time, good friends of ours. And um, they volunteer in a bunch of different areas. Chris may have been in the parking lot on your way in today, but I was uh, having lunch with Chris several years ago. And at that point he had two in high school and one in middle school. And uh, all of his kids were involved in different stuff and they were running every which way. I said, hey, how, you know, how's, how's life going? He goes, life is full. And I said, interesting, tell me more about that. He said, well, he goes, I feel like we talk to our friends and everybody just uses the word busy. They just always say, oh, I'm busy, I'm busy. And it sounds like a bad thing. He goes, but for us, we are busy, but we're busy with things that we love doing. We love all that's going on with our kids. We love how, what we're involved with at the church. We love our, our jobs, neighborhood relationships. It's like, we've chosen all these things. So we've just specifically decided, hey, we're not gonna use the word busy anymore. We're gonna use the word full. So maybe that's what you came for today. You can just start using the word full instead of busy. But again, being busy is not a bad thing if we're busy with activities that we have chosen, that we've made an intentional uh, decision in our lives because we think they matter and they make a big impact. So busy can be good, but 
There is something that can creep into our lives that is not good. And it often uses busyness as its doorway in. It's almost like it can piggyback on our busyness and make its way into our life. And when it enters into our lives, it is not a good thing. Um, to illustrate, uh, several months ago, our, our family uh, went on kind of a bucket list trip for us. We, we went out west to visit a bunch of different national parks right at the beginning of summer. And if you've been on one of these trips before, you know that you kind of stay a night or two and then you hop in the car and, and you drive to the next spot and you stay a night or two. So it's kind of a, a, a go and stop, go and stop sort of trip. And um, you're in a bunch of different climates. So you have to pack a bunch of different clothes. And my wife and I, we have four kids. And so we had six very big suitcases, lots of luggage and um, on, on one particular night, we were getting ready. The next day, we were gonna have our longest drive of the trip. It was an eight-hour drive. And uh, dads, you can probably relate to this, but there's something about when you have a long drive, like you wanna get started early in the morning. There's like a victorious feeling that you have if you leave really early and get started really early. It doesn't really matter what time you arrive, but for some reason, we feel like we win if we get out of the house early. So we did all the preparations the night before, packed everything up, uh, made sure everything was kind of ready to go. And then when I wake up in the morning, I'm like, here we go, baby, let's load this car. We're going to get on the road and we're going to be efficient. We are going to be efficient in this drive today. And uh, my kids had other plans though. Um, I'm like starting to load the car and they're eating breakfast. And I'm like, what, we're eating this morning? Like, what's, wait a second, you know? And and then it's like, okay, they're done with breakfast. I'm like, hey guys, can y'all help me load the car? And like, as I'm going making trips back and forth to the car, I'm coming back in one time and they're playing on their iPads. And then I'm coming back in again. And it's like, they're wrestling. The second time I come back in, the iPads have been turned on, but now they're all on top of each other on the, you know, on the couch wrestling over there. And um, as you can imagine, my, my blood pressure is, is going up and up and up and things are getting a little bit more intense around uh, the, the apartment that we were staying in. And um, finally, we, we get all the stuff down in the back of the car. So it was a rental car, it was an SUV. I had to like, it was like a game of Tetris to get all the luggage to fit in the back of the car. I get all that in there. I get the kids in there. I put the last kid in the left side of the car and I stepped back and I bent down to tie my shoe. Well, he didn't know that I had bent down and was still right there. So he started to close the door. So I see this huge metal door, you know, coming at a pretty fast rate right here at this ear right here was going to be the point where it was going to hit. Thankfully, I saw it in my periphery and was able to jump out of the way right as the door slams. And in that moment, I had to take a little walk, like <laughs> just to try to breathe and calm down a little bit. But we also, we had somewhere to be. So I, I jump in the driver's seat and you can imagine through all that morning, it's like, I, I, needed, I needed a breath. I needed to calm down a little bit. And, and um, again, the temperature, temperature was high, right? We were ready to go. I'm trying to be efficient. We're trying to rush this thing. We're trying to make it happen. And so I have this habit when anytime we're leaving anywhere, because we have four kids, I'll always turn around and count them in the back seat to make sure we have all of them. Leaving the gas station, leaving the store, leaving the restaurant, whatever it is, I'll always look around and go, okay, one, two, three, four. Okay, we're good to go. And then I'll drive off. So I did that. I turned around and I counted four boys. And so I said, okay, we're good to go. I saw the four of them. What I didn't see was that the back of the SUV was still wide open. And so I start pulling out of the complex there and it's right on this main highway. It's 55 mile an hour speed limit. There's semis going both ways. Everybody's flying right. And I'm sitting there getting ready to pull out. And, and, and again, I, I, wanna, I wanna be efficient with this day. I wanna get going, right? So I see an opening and I punch it. I go for it. 
I mean, I, I kind of squealed a little bit getting out there and I start accelerating. And my son in the back seat, Roddick, he's, he's very observant. He, um, <laughs> he notices a breeze that shouldn't be there. And he was like, hey, dad, uh, the back of the car is open. And by this point, I'm already going about 40 miles an hour. So, and I'm still accelerating, right? And so as, as soon as I hear that, I immediately have to start decelerating. I have to get over into the hazard lane. And we're looking back and we see multiple pieces of luggage out on the highway. Meanwhile, these massive semis coming by. We're like, hey, who knows? We, we may lose some stuff today. I don't even get stopped before Kelly jumps out of the car. I'm still moving. She jumps out of the car and starts sprinting back down the highway to get our luggage. It was like a scene from a movie, okay? And then I'm sitting there and I'm in a little bit of a predicament because, you know, I, I, I want to help her, but she's already like 100 yards behind me. And also I was like, I can't leave the kids in a running car, you know, on the side of the highway in a strange town. So it's like, what do I do? I, I decide to start backing up the hazard lane with the back of the SUV still open just to try to meet Kelly in the middle somewhere. So I'm backing up, she gets the luggage, she comes up, we put them back in the car, close the door. We're like, okay, good to go. I take a deep breath, I merge back onto the highway. About a half a mile down the road was the main town area. And we were gonna pull over there and, and get some coffee to, to start the trip. And so we had to get the kids out of the car really quick. I'm like, okay guys, let's go, let's go, let's go. You know, we get them out of the car over on the side of the road and I get out and, and we're about to do the crosswalk and I'm, I'm hitting lock on the car. I'm like, lock, lock, lock. And you know, you're supposed to hear that beep or some noise to let you know that the car has locked. And I keep beeping, but it, or I keep uh, hitting the button, but it's, it's not beeping. And so I'm like, well, maybe one of the kids left one of the doors open or cracked. So I walk back over there and it's like, I keep hitting the button. It's like, no, uh, the doors are closed on this side. I walk around on the other side, the doors are closed on that side. And I keep hitting the button. Then it dawns on me, oh, it's, you, you can't lock the car while the engine is still running. <laughs> I'd left the car running. You see what, we were busy that morning, but something else had entered the equation. Something else had entered into my life that morning. It wasn't just busyness, it was hurry. And hurry is different from busy. They're two separate things. Busy is the activity. Hurry is our state or our condition within the activity, not just the activity itself. If you look up Webster's definition of hurry, it's a state of urgency or haste. And it's associated with a number of different words. It's associated with world words such as hurl, hurdle, hurly burly, and hurricane. Another way that you can define hurry is this right here. It's, a, it's an unhealthy preoccupation with a future time, place, or outcome. We get preoccupied and it's okay to be preoccupied, but we get preoccupied at an unhealthy level with a future time, meaning we desire to be in another moment when we're in this moment. Or it's a, a physical place. So this is when we're moving really fast, we're late for a meeting. And so we're jogging down or power walking down the hallway at work, or we're, we're speeding in our cars on the highway. Or we can be hurried when it comes to an outcome. I think about for us, me and Kelly, it's like the way this is played out is that there's moments where like, I, I want my kids to put their dishes, not just in the sink, but I want them to put them in the dishwasher when we're done eating a meal. But oftentimes I want them to do that as quick as a 30 year old would do it. 
I get un, in an unhealthy way preoccupied with a future outcome. I want their dishes in the dishwasher. And I forget that they're seven and nine and 13 years old. That's what hurry is. It's an unhealthy preoccupation with a future time, place, or outcome. Hurry, hurry is the inner turmoil that we feel when, when we're trying to get somewhere sooner than possible. And that somewhere could be a physical location or again, it could be a circumstance or outcome that we want to happen. It's like when we're stuck in traffic. We might be late for a meeting or late for something and uh, we begin to, to experience that inner turmoil. When we're stuck in traffic and, 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 and we're late for that meeting and we, we wanna get there and we begin to say things that we wouldn't normally say. We begin to think things that we wouldn't normally do. Begin to, to do things that we wouldn't normally do, things that we regret. That feeling, that feeling in that moment that we're experiencing is hurry. Because we actually can't do anything to move the traffic, can we? But yet we, we, we like feel like we need to will it into being. So we honk our horn and we don't let that person merge in. I mean, that, that person merging in would cost us maybe three seconds, but it's like, uh-uh, buddy, I am in a hurry. I think you can guess it at this point, but hurry is not your friend. Hurry's not your friend. And the interesting thing about hurry is hurry is not a companion and it's not a co-pilot in life. When it enters the picture, it takes over. It's not the co-pilot, it's the driver. It's not the coworker, it's your boss. Hurry will become the boss of you. It doesn't just come alongside and, 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 and affect us in little ways, it takes over. And think about your life. Aren't some of your worst moments when you're, when you're in a hurry? Things you say, things you do, things you regret, I know they are for me. I know that, that Kelly has experienced it. I know the kids have experienced it. They experienced it just a couple months ago out west when we were, you know, busy one morning. Yeah, we were busy, but, but I got hurried in that moment. Hurry is not your friend. Uh, John Ortberg is an author and a pastor and um, he tells the story of early on in his career. He was the pastor of a very large church up in Chicago and had a wife and young kids and just had a lot on his plate. And he was struggling keeping all the plates spinning and keeping everything moving in a good direction. So he ends up calling his mentor. It was a guy named Dallas Willard. Dallas passed away several years ago, but Dallas is an author and a teacher um, and uh, is, is, is known in theological circles. And he calls Dallas and he says, Dallas, Here's what's going on in my life. And he talks about being a pastor and he talks about being a husband and being, being a dad and, and uh, just how he's struggling with all of it. And he's beginning to experience burnout. And he says, Dallas, what must I do in these days to grow spiritually? What must I do in these days to experience the life that I really wanna experience? What, what must I do to experience more of God in these days? And um, there was a long pause on the other end of the phone. Apparently with Dallas, there was always a long pause. And Dallas responded and said, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. And John wrote that down and said, okay, I got that one. What else? There was another long pause. And Dallas said, there is nothing else. 
You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. He went on to say that hurry is the great enemy of the spiritual life in our day. Which is so interesting because think about it. What, what would we say is the enemy of our life in these days? And if you're a follower of Jesus, what's, what's the enemy of your relationship with Jesus? We would say a lot of different things probably before we would say hurry. We might say that it's culture or it's the internet or it's false teaching about God or false beliefs about God or it's the devil or it's the opposing political party or the HOA, you know? <laughs> We'd list a whole number of things that we would say are, are the enemy of your life and of mine. But Dallas, when he was talking to John, he said, no, it's hurry. It's hurry. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. And I heard this quote years ago uh, for the first time. And many, of, many people have quoted this in different books. Um, they, they've done conferences around this idea. John Ortberg wrote a book called Soul Keeping, which is really good on this topic. There's another book by John Mark Comer called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, which is another book that's on this topic. And the more I read on it, the more I think about it, the more I observe other people's lives, the more I observe my own life, I think Dallas was right. And even secular psychologists and sociologists agree. You can Google this term. I, I encourage you to do it this week, but there's a term called hurried sickness. They actually have a label for a condition now that they give to people. These are psychologists and sociologists. Hurried sickness, here's how it's defined. It's a behavior pattern characterized by continual rushing and anxiousness, an overwhelming and continual sense of urgency. Here's another definition of it. A malaise in which a person feels chronically short of time and so tends to perform every task faster and to get flustered when encountering any kind of delay. Does that sound like anybody you know? That's hurried sickness. And here's my question to you today. What, what, if, what if Dallas was talking to you? Again, Dallas passed away several years ago, but what if he was still living and he was your mentor and you called him up and you began to explain all that you're wrestling with in life, all that you're facing in life, the struggles, the challenges, the things, the things you're carrying, what would he say to you in that moment? Is it possible, is it possible that the thing that is holding you back is not the things that come to mind that you would list out when you think about the enemies of your life, but the thing that's holding you back is hurry. Maybe it's as simple as that, even if it's just in a small way. And that's what I wanna talk about over the next few weeks in this series. So we talk about advice for the hurried life. But as we get started today, as we get started today, I need to give a disclaimer, okay? Some of you might be thinking like, wait a second, do I, do I agree with this? Is that really all bad? Okay, Here, here's the disclaimer. There are times, there are times when hurry is required, okay? If your kids run into the street, you need to hurry in that moment. If your house is on fire, you need to hurry. If your neighbor is having a heart attack and he needs help, that is not the time to go, hmm, I wonder how I can be, you know, not rushed in this moment. Men, if your wife is pregnant and she says it's time, 
do not tell her that you are ruthlessly eliminating hurry (laughs) from your life. If you do, she will ruthlessly eliminate you. (laughs) There is a time. There is a time where hurry is required. We're actually designed this way. There's a part of our brain called the amygdala. And that's the part of our brain that controls the fight or flight state that we can be in. And fight or flight is a good thing when we need it, but it should be occasional. It should be rare. It shouldn't be ongoing and it shouldn't be long-term. There are countless studies about the impact on our health when we get in long-term fight or flight, when we kind of live out of the amygdala in our brain for hours on end, days on end, weeks on end. It's actually what leads to clinical burnout is long-term fight or flight. But there's a number of different implications for us. There's cardiovascular issues. There's anxiety, mental health issues, depression, our, our immune system gets shot. And so then we end up getting sick over and over and over again. We're not designed to live in hurry. It should be rare. It should be the exception, not the rule. It shouldn't be daily. It certainly shouldn't be hourly. But if we're not careful with all, all that we have going on in our lives, you know, our calendars being full, all the things we gotta get done, And then the culture in which we live, that doesn't help that. The combination of the two things can be really bad for us. The culture is gonna lead us to be hurried. Advertising and social media is meant to trigger your amygdala and get you outraged about something or get you fired up about something. If 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 we're not healthy, if we're not intentional, that hurry is gonna creep back into our lives. And it's not only not healthy for us, If you're a follower of Jesus in the room today, it actually can squeeze out our life with God and our relationship with him. And it can hinder the way we hear from him and hinder the way we walk with him. I mean, think about it. Jesus was never hurried. If you look at his life in in the scriptures, you look at the New Testament, he really was uh, never hurried or, or at least rarely hurried. I mean, he didn't preach his first sermon until he was 30 years old. He was always walking. You never see Jesus put on the new balances and start taking off on, on a jog. Um, the way he taught, he, he asked questions. He sat with people and just think about that. He had all the knowledge in the universe and yet he was patient with people when he was trying to teach them. He would ask questions. And they would respond. And even when they would get it wrong, he would be patient with them and he would ask more questions. Think about what you and I do when when we're convinced that we're right, we don't typically act in that way. We typically wanna say, no, 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 you're, you're wrong. Let me explain it, right? But Jesus had this unhurried way about him. There's a scene in Luke chapter 10 where sisters, Mary and Martha, Jesus is at their house and uh, Martha is up Uh, making all the preparations for the meal. She's getting the food ready. She's setting the table. She's doing all the different stuff. Mary is sitting at Jesus's feet. And so reclining with Jesus, listening to him teach, having a conversation with him. And Martha's like, hey, Jesus, tell Mary to get up and help me. Like I'm over here doing it all. In that moment, Jesus actually sides with Mary. So again, it kind of taps into that unhurried nature of Jesus. And then a little bit later, Mary and Martha, they have a brother named Lazarus, who you may have heard of, but um, he ends up getting sick. 
and word of this gets to Jesus. It's in John chapter 11. It says, now Jesus, Jesus loved Martha and her sister, Mary, and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, now what would you and I do if we heard that someone very close to us was sick? Especially if we knew, like Jesus, that we could heal this person instantly. Well, we would probably get up and rush over there and help them. Look what Jesus did. He stayed where he was two more days. I don't know. Again, now now he ends up showing up and Martha's like, hey, Jesus, if you had been here, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And, you know, Jesus ends up raising him from the dead. And you may hear that and go, well, yeah, I mean, Jesus is the son of God. So of course he can take his time and do that. But but here's the point. As you look at the life of Jesus, he isn't rushed. He isn't frantic. He isn't panicked. Like we so often get in the midst of our business. He, he was fired up a couple times, but it's clear as you look at his life in general, that the hurried life is not the life of Jesus. Probably the clearest example of this um, from scripture, that this idea of hurry doesn't lead us to the life that God is calling us to, comes from Paul's letter to the Galatians. After Jesus' death and resurrection, um, churches began to, um, uh, the good news began to spread. Churches popped up all over the Mediterranean and, and Paul was one of the leaders of this movement and he would write letters to them, um, kind of encouraging them and challenging them to live the life that Jesus had offered them to. And in Galatians chapter five, he says this, this may be a familiar passage to some of you, but he says, but the fruit of the spirit, meaning what's produced in our lives, When the spirit of Jesus, the spirit of God is at work in us, it produces a fruit, an outward expression of that spirit within us. And this fruit, you're you're about to see a list of things, but this fruit is singular. It's one fruit. So, So the list doesn't describe like nine different fruits that can come out of the spirit. These, these, this list that you're about to see, they all describe one fruit. And so you can't pick and choose. If one of these attributes is missing, then it's not the fruit of the spirit. Here's what Paul says. He says, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, even if you're not a Christian, you look at this list and you go, yeah, that, that's, I would want that in my life. It's, it's the life that all of us want. Our moments of regret are when these things are not present in our lives. And Paul's saying, hey, this is the life that Jesus wants to generate in you. He wants to produce this fruit through you. And when he's in control, when you're following him, this is what life should look like. Now I wanna go back through each of these and look at them through the lens of hurry. First one, love. When you are hurried, when I am hurried, are we very loving? No, because in that moment, in that moment, we are valuing the task over the person. When we're rushed and we're trying to get something done, we begin to value that thing over the person, which is not love. Love goes out the window. Joy, you don't see a lot of joyful people on Georgia 400 who are in a hurry, do you? 
Yeah, joy goes out the window. Peace out the window. Patience, ha! That's like the last thing in the world that we experience when we're in that hurried place. We're not kind. We're not good. We're not faithful to the things in life that matter the most to us. We're faithful to the task. We're faithful to the outcome. We're faithful to that future time or place that we're trying to get. We are not faithful to the people in our lives or to our heavenly father. Gentleness is gone. This is one of the most overlooked attributes of the fruit of the spirit in my opinion. We so often forget that, oh yeah, when Jesus lived his life, he was gentle. Gentleness should be a feature and a trait of our lives if we are followers of him. When we're in a hurry, we're not gentle. And again, self-control is gone as well because hurry is not a companion. It's not a co-pilot. It kicks us out of the driver's seat and it becomes the boss of us. So as you look at the fruit of the spirit, what should be produced in us when we're abiding in Christ and following him in our lives, the fruit of the spirit is not possible when we are hurried. Hurry is, uh, you could say, the unfruit of the spirit. To carry his analogy out, it's the pesticide to the fruit of the spirit. And again, Paul What he's saying in a different way is that hurry is not your friend. Hurry is not your friend. Even if you're not a Christian, hurry is gonna prevent those things in your life. And those are things that you want. But if you're a follower of Jesus, these are the things that should describe us. They should embody our lives. People should see these things in us. And when we begin to depart from those, that should alert us that something is off that we're off track and that we've been sucked back into the busyness of life and the culture around us and the advertising and the social media and all of those things, they've gotten us stirred up. They've gotten us rushed and we're in a hurry. And when we do that, we miss out on life. We miss out on hearing from God and experiencing life with him. So we must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from our lives. Over the course of these three weeks, I wanna give you uh, three pieces of advice. One piece of advice, one tip each week in the advice for your hurried life. And week one, week one, step one is this, slow down. Slow down. And again, this is not just externally. This this is not necessarily trying to remove all the to-dos from your life. This is internally. You're still gonna get it all done. You can still make all the things happen that you feel like you're committed to, but what condition are you in on the other side of those tasks? How can you slow down internally in your heart and in your mind so that you can experience strength and peace and joy as you go from one activity to the next? And how can you experience more of God in your life as you go from one activity to the next? So that you 
have a connection with him. And that connection with him overflows to the people you're interacting with throughout your days. How can you slow down? I'm gonna give you a a couple practical ways to do this. This is not an all-encompassing list by any means, um, but it's just a few things that you can use as tools to fight against hurry in your life. And uh, these things that I'm gonna put up here, they're really the opposite of what we typically do, especially when we're in a hurry. And when you see them, you may think I'm crazy. You may go, ah, there's no way I'm doing that. But just, just stay with me, stay with me for the next couple minutes. Here we go. Here's the first one. Choose the longest line at the store. Yeah, nervous laughter, right? What do we normally do when we get to the checkup, you know, the checkout line of any store? We start looking for the shortest line, don't we? And like, we'll even get into complex mathematics with it as well. We'll see like one cart over here and two carts over there. But you know, these two carts only have a total of like eight items in them. And this guy over here looks like he's shopping for his whole neighborhood. So we're not getting behind the one cart. We're gonna go ahead and choose to get behind the two cart. Has anybody else done that? Yeah, all of us have done that, right? Like we think we're gonna beat the system. And when it comes to hurry, one of the ways you can fight against it is just to intentionally choose the longer line. Do you know what it'll cost you? Maybe 30 seconds. It'll cost you such little time. But again, it's a way for you to step into that line and take a breath and go, you know what? I'm just gonna wait in this line. Hurry is not the boss of me. Hurry is not the boss of me. Efficiency is not the emperor of my soul. I do not have to bow down to the to-do list and not just the to-do list, but the timing of the to-do list. I'm gonna choose to get it done in this longer line. And then this, this is so interesting. You know, so much of the time when we choose the shortest line, something ends up happening. And we're like, the whole time we're watching the other line going, did I make the right decision? Did I make the right decision? Did I make the right decision? And like, they creep up and you're like, uh-oh, you start, your palms start sweating. Like, should I get out of this line and go over into that line over there, you know? And then if somehow we see that that other line went faster than the line we're in, like the lady in front of us, she has a problem with her credit card and they have to call a manager over and we're sitting there going, oh, come on. <laughs> in those moments, we, we begin to lose it. But guess what? Guess what? If you choose to be in the longest line, you just go, hey, that delay, that delay is welcomed. I chose the longest line. I'm not being violated here. I'm not being mistreated. I mean, we feel like if we choose the shortest line and we somehow, the other line moves quicker, we like, we wanna talk to a manager. We're like, hey, I got some feedback about your checkout process that may make it a little more efficient so that, you know, when we choose the shortest line, it actually is the shortest line, you know? We're in a hurried state of mind when we're doing that. And just choosing the shortest line allows us to take a breath. And again, you don't have to do this all the time, but it's a way to fight back against it, okay? That's number one. Here's number two. It's getting crazier, okay? Drive the speed limit. Mm-hmm. I thought I might get a reaction out of that one. Don't drive three miles an hour over the speed limit, not five miles an hour over, not 10 miles an hour. You think to yourself, well, I probably won't get a ticket if I go 10 miles an hour, set the cruise control. They won't pull you over for 10 over. Drive the speed limit. Again, you, you don't have to do this all the time, okay? This is a tool. This is a weapon against hurry in your life. I did it this morning as I was driving up 400. 
I set the cruise control at 65 miles an hour. People were passing me. They were probably wondering themselves, what is that guy doing over there? But look, I arrived and I'm alive. It didn't kill me. It probably cost me about a minute and 13 seconds. But again, it's, it's a protest against the hurry that will naturally creep into your life and mine. Drive the speed limit. The third one. Say, you go ahead. Can we just say that together? One, two, three. You go ahead. One more time. You go ahead. Try to make this a part of your daily vocabulary in as many situations as possible. When you're physically with people in the store or in line, hey, you know, you go ahead. You go ahead. Or if you're on 400 and someone is trying to merge, it's okay to let them in, okay? It's not gonna cost you any time. Just say, you go ahead. Again, is it gonna cost you much time? No, it's not. But it's a way for you, your heart and your mind to push back against hurry coming in. Last one, welcome interruptions. Welcome interruptions. Interruptions are inevitable in our lives. They happen in so many different ways throughout our days, small ways to really, really big ways. And how we respond to interruptions, listen to this, how we respond to interruptions will say a lot about how hurried we are in life. If we freak out and get really anxious and really angry and we respond externally or internally really strongly to interruptions, odds are we are in that moment. We're in a hurry. Hurry's in the driver's seat. We're not in the driver's seat. And when interruptions happen, instead of that initial response, you're gonna feel it start to rise up. But in that moment, I want you to take a deep breath and just, you don't have to say it out loud. That might be weird to people, okay? If they walk in your office and they interrupt the work that you're doing and you say, welcome, you know, that would be weird. Don't do that. But in your heart, in your mind, welcome the interruption. As it begins to, to, to rise, again, that anxiety, anger, whatever your response mechanism is, when it begins to rise up, just pause, take a deep breath and go, I welcome this interruption. Parents, this is huge because for us, most of our interruptions come through our children. And when we're in a hurried state and, and we don't respond well to the interruption, we end up hurting the thing that we care about most in life. This is not a joke. I was going through these notes last night, trying to make sure everything was together. And my son, Jet, interrupted me. And he was trying to get a later bedtime. Okay, that was, the, that was the details of the conversation. Mom said it was time to go to bed, but he wanted to come negotiate with me. And I, in that moment, am like, I feel it rising up. And I just, I literally was like, you've got to be kidding me. I was on this point of this talk when he interrupted me last night. And I said, thank you, God. Thank you for this, this, this example right here, this, this perfect illustration of what I'm talking about. I love Jet. I don't wanna hurt Jet. I don't wanna crush Jet. I don't wanna say anything or do anything that hurts him or anything that I regret later as a dad. And so I said, come here, buddy, come here. Give me a hug. And he came in, I gave him a big hug. And I said, you still gotta go to bed right now. <laughs> Send him out of the room. Again, try to welcome interruptions in your life. There's a number of different other things I could put up here on this board. Try not to touch your phone when you get stopped in a line. Try not to touch your phone. If you watch people today, the moment they stop, the moment we stop, we immediately grab our phone and start, you know, just start doing stuff. Instead, when you get in line and you get stopped, just pause. 
Just breathe. Just exist for a few minutes. You don't have to do another activity. There's, there's a bunch of different things we could put up here, but here's just a few. And again, these, these are weapons in your battle against hurry. These are things you can leverage to protest against the hurry that will creep into your life and my life and rob us of the things that matter most. These are things that will help us slow down, slow down. And that's the first piece of advice in this series, advice for your hurried life. And we'll pick it up there next week in part two. Let me uh, hurry up and pray for us and then we'll get out of here. Let's pray. God, thank you. Uh, Thank you for life. Thank you for your love for us. Um, And thank you that you're not hurried with us, that we've got all sorts of issues and shortcomings and um, God, um, we've fallen way short of you and, and yet you're just patient with us. You're not in a hurry. You're not trying to rush us to the next thing. And uh, we're just grateful for that. That's your grace and your mercy on our lives. It's such a picture of the love you have for us. I pray that you would help us embody this more and more. Would you help us not be panicked, not be frantic, not be rushed? Because when we engage in those things, we miss out on life with you. Would you help each of us, wherever we are with faith today, wherever we are with you, would you help us take steps in that direction? In Jesus' name, amen.